The Mystical City of God, The Conception, Book 2, Chapter 14, Part 1. The Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda explains the different kinds of divine visions enjoyed by the Queen of Heaven, and the effects which they worked in her. 615. The Grace of Divine Visions, Revelations and Raptures, I do not speak here of the beatific visions, although they are operations of the Holy Ghost, must be distinguished from justifying grace and from virtues, which sanctify and perfect the soul in their operations. As not all the just, nor all the saints, necessarily have visions or divine revelations, it is evident that sanctity and virtuousness can exist without these gifts. It is also evident, that revelations and visions are not dependent upon the sanctity and perfection of those, that are thus favored, but upon the divine will. God concedes them according to weight and measure for the ends which he wishes to attain in his church, Wisdom 11:21. God can without doubt grant great and the most exalted visions to those, who are less holy, and only inferior revelations to those, who are of exalted sanctity. The gift of prophecy and the other gifts freely given God can even give to those who are not saints, some of the raptures moreover can arise from causes, which have nothing to do with moral virtues. Therefore if any comparison is made between the prophets, their sanctity does not enter into calculation, for that can be estimated only by God. But the divine light of prophecy and the mode of receiving it, must be made the basis of the comparison as to its being more or less exalted in its different aspects. Thus it happens, that charity and virtue, which make their possessors holy and perfect, depend upon the will, while visions and revelations, and likewise some of the raptures, affect the understanding of the intellectual part of man, the perfection of which does not in itself sanctify the soul. 616. Nevertheless, though the gift of divine vision is distinct from holiness and separate from it, the divine will and providence very often joins them according to the end and object in the gratuitous gifts of special revelation. For sometimes God ordains them for the public benefit, 1 Corinthians 12 7, and for the common good of the church, as the Apostle tells us. Thus the prophets, inspired by the Holy Ghost and not filled with their own imaginations, 2 Peter 1 21, spoke and prophesied to us the mysteries of the redemption and of the evangelical law, 1 Peter 1 10. When the revelations and visions are of this kind, they are not necessarily joined with sanctity, for Balaam was a prophet and no saint. But generally it suited divine providence, that the prophets should at the same time be saints, preferring not to deposit, at least not easily and frequently, the spirit of prophecy and of divine revelations in impure vessels. In some instances God, as the all-powerful, did choose to act in this manner, yet, not to mention many other reasons, he did not ordinarily wish to detract from the power of his divine truths and teachings by the bad life of the instrument. 617. At other times the divine revelations and visions do not pertain to things of general importance and they do not concern so much the common good, but only the particular advantage of the one who receives them. Just as the former are the effects of God's love toward his church, so the latter, the special revelations, 
are the results of the special love of God toward the particular soul. He communicates them in order to instruct his chosen ones and in order to raise them to the highest grade of love and perfection. In this kind of revelations, the spirit of wisdom transcends through successive generations of holy souls, making them successively prophets and friends of God. Just as the efficient cause of the revelations is the love of God shown to some particular souls, so also their final cause or object is the holiness, the purity and the charity of these very souls. God chooses this means of divine revelation and vision in order to gain this end. 618. I do not therefore say here, that revelations and visions are the indispensable and necessary means for the making of the saints and the perfect, many are such by other means, irrespective of these benefits. But even supposing this truth, that the concession or denial of these particular gifts depends solely upon the divine will, it is nevertheless also a fact that on our part, and on the part of God, there may be certain reasons of propriety which induce God to communicate them more frequently to his servants. The first among several is that the most proper and convenient means of rising to eternal things, entering into them, and becoming spiritualized, and arriving at the perfect union of the soul with the highest good, is the supernatural light concerning the mysteries and secrets of the Most High which comes from revelation and vision granted to it in solitude and in its excesses of mind. For this purpose the Lord himself invites the soul with many promises and caresses, as is often shown in Holy Scripture and especially in the Canticles of Solomon. 619. The second of these reasons of propriety concerns the Lord. For love is impatient to communicate its favors and its mysteries to the beloved and to the friend. I will not now call you servants, nor treat you as servants, our Lord, the Master of Truth said to the Apostles, for I have manifested to you the secrets of my Father, John 15 15. And Moses says of himself, that God spoke to him as a friend with a friend, Exodus 23 11. The holy ancestors patriarchs and prophets, received from the Holy Ghost not only general revelations, but many other private and particular ones, and these were tokens of the love in which God held them, as is seen from the petition of Moses to allow him to see the face of God, Exodus 23:13. The same is shown by the names, which the Almighty applies to the chosen soul in calling its spouse, friend, dove, sister, perfect, beloved, beautiful, etc. All these titles, though betokening much of the force of divine love and its effects, yet fall far short of that which the Supreme King operates in those whom he wishes thus to honor. For the Lord is mighty to do all that he desires, and he alone knows how to desire as a spouse, as a friend, as a father, as the highest and infinite good, without limit or measure. 620. The truth loses none of its force by its not being intelligible to carnal wisdom, nor by the deceptions of carnal prudence, through which some souls have been led into false visions and revelations forged by the devil in the garb of light. This deception has been more frequent in women on account of their ignorance and their passions. However, it fell also upon many men, who sought to appear virtuous and wise. In all of them it has arisen from an evil root. 
I do not speak of those who because of diabolical hypocrisy have feigned false and apparent revelations, visions and raptures. But I speak of those who have been deceived by lying visions through the agency of the devil, although such things do not happen without sin in consenting to them. Of the former it can be said, that they deceive, and of the latter, at least in the beginning, that they are deceived. For the ancient serpent, knowing them to be little mortified in their passions and little practiced in the interior perception of the divine things, implants into them with astute subtlety, a proud presumption that they are much favored by God. The devil robs them of their humble fear and inspires them with vain curiosity to know high things by revelation, to be favored with visions, and to be distinguished in such things above other men. Thereby they open the gates for the entrance of Satan, he fills them with deceitful and false illusions, far distant from divine truth, yet having the appearance of truth in order to conceal his poison and deceive the soul. 621. The way to avoid such dangerous deceit is to live in humble fear and not to aspire to high things, Romans 11:20. not to judge of our advance in the tribunal of our inclinations and not to trust to our own prudence. To leave judgment to God, his ministers, and well-informed confessors, who will search into the intention of our acts. Then it will soon become known, whether the soul desires these favors as a means of virtue and perfection or, in order to obtain honor among men. The most secure path will always be not to desire them, and always to fear the danger which at all times is great and more so in the first beginnings. For the sensible sweetness of devotion, even when it comes from the Lord and when it is not an imposture of the devil, is not given because the soul is already capable of the solid food of his greater favors and secrets. But it is given as the food of the little ones, in order to draw them away with greater earnestness from the faults and induce them to greater self-denial and sensible things. Not at all in order to make them imagine that they are advanced in virtue. Even raptures, which spring from admiration, suppose ignorance rather than special love. As soon as our love becomes ecstatic, fervent, yearning, quickened, full of activity and inaccessible, impatient of any other presence except that of its beloved, and if besides all this, it has a full command over all the affections of the heart, then the soul begins to be rightly disposed to receive the light of mysterious revelations and of divine visions. And so much the better will it be disposed toward receiving them, the more it esteems itself unworthy of the reception of even much smaller favors. Wise men will not be surprised that women have been so much favored in these gifts, for besides being more fervent in their love, God also favors them for being the weakest among creatures and so much the more appropriate witnesses of His power. Women also are more wanting in the acquired science of theology than learned men, except when the Most High infuses that science in order to illumine their weak and uninformed judgment. 622. Having established these principles, we must acknowledge that in Most Holy Mary, even if there were no other special reasons, the revelations and visions of the Most High were more exalted, more wonderful, more frequent, and more divine than those of all the rest of saints. These favors, just like all the gifts, must be measured by her dignity, her holiness, purity, and also by the love, which her Son and the Blessed Trinity cherished towards her, 
who was the mother of the Son, the daughter of the Father, and the spouse of the Holy Ghost. In proportion to the greatness of these prerogatives were also the influxes of the divinity, Christ and his mother being infinitely more beloved than all the rest of the angels and men. The divine visions enjoyed by our sovereign queen can be divided into five grades or kinds, and I will describe each one of them, as far as has been revealed to me. Most Holy Mary's Clear Vision of the Divinity 623 The highest and most excellent of all her visions were those of the beatific vision of the divine essence, for in her state of pilgrimage she many times enjoyed the unveiled vision of the divinity. I shall mention all these visions in the course of this history according to the time and occasion in which she enjoyed this supreme privilege of a creature. Some doctors are in doubt, whether the other saints have reached this state of seeing the Godhead clearly and intuitively while yet in mortal flesh, but whatever may be their uncertainty about such visions in regard to other saints, no such doubt can be entertained in regard to the Queen of Heaven, and it would be an injury to her, if we were to measure her favors with the common measure of the saints. Many more favors and graces than were even possible in them actually were consummated in the Mother of Grace, and it is at least possible that beatific vision can take place in men yet in their pilgrimage, whatever may be the mode in which this happens. The first requisite of a soul, which is to see God face to face, is a degree of sanctifying grace most exalted and far above the ordinary. Now the degree of sanctifying grace, which Mary reached from the first moment of her existence, was superabundant, and of such perfection, that it exceeded that of the highest seraphim. In addition to sanctifying grace, there must be great purity of all the faculties, without a shadow of guilt or the least inclination to sin. Just as a vessel, which has contained any impure liquid and which is to be filled with another pure substance must be cleansed, washed and purified until not a taste or odor of the former remains so as not to infect the new substance, so all traces of sin, and much more of actual sin, contaminate and infect the soul. And because all these effects make the soul unfit for divine bounty, it must be prepared before it can be united with God by the intuitive vision and beautifying love. It must be cleansed and purified, so that not a vestige of the odor or the taste of sin remains, nor any traces of vicious habits or inclinations as a result of sin. This applies not only to the effects and stains of mortal, but also of venial sin, all of which cause in the soul a special depravity. It is like, according to our way of understanding such things, when a foul breath fogs and obscures the clearness of crystal. All its brightness and purity must first be restored to the soul before it can see God face to face. 624. Moreover, besides this purity which is the negative cleansing of the nature of him who is to enjoy the vision of God, it is necessary to cauterize the infection of original sin, so that it is entirely extinct and neutralized, as if it had never existed in the creature. Thus all trace or inward causes inclining it to any sin or imperfection must first be done away with, and the entire free will must, as it were, be made incapable of everything, which in any way is opposed to highest sanctity and goodness. Therefore, on account of what I shall mention later on, it will be easily understood, 
How difficult it is for the soul to attain the necessary condition for the clear vision of God in mortal flesh. And that it can be conceded to the creatures only with great circumspection, for most important reasons, and after great preparation. According to my understanding there are two kinds of incompatibilities and divergencies of the sinful creature in regard to the divine nature. The first consists in this, that God is invisible, infinite, a pure and simple act, while man is a corporeal, earthly, corruptible and coarse substance. The other incompatibility is caused by sin, which is immensely distant from the divine goodness, and this entails a greater divergence and alienation than the first. But both of them must be done away with, before such extremes can be united, and before the creatures can rest in this supreme manner in the deity and before it can assimilate itself with God so as to see and enjoy Him as He is. 1 John 3 2 625 All the requisites of immaculate purity and transparency, excluding all sin and imperfection, were possessed by the Queen of Heaven in a much higher degree than even by the angels. For she was touched neither by original nor by actual sin, nor by any of their consequences. In this regard divine grace acted more powerfully in her, than was merited by the impeccable nature of the angels, and in Mary there was no disproportion nor any obstacle of sin, which could retard the vision of God. On the other hand, besides being immaculate, the grace given to her in the first instance exceeded that of the angels and saints, and her merits were in proportion to that grace. By her first act she merited more than all the others, even by their most perfect and consummate acts, which they have performed in order to reach beatific vision. Therefore, if it is just, that in the other saints the reward of glory merited by them be deferred until the end of their mortal life, it does not seem against justice, that this law was not followed so strictly in regard to Most Holy Mary and that the Most High Ruler should and really did proceed differently with her during her mortal existence. The Most Blessed Trinity would not suffer such a long delay in regard to her and manifested itself to her many times, since she merited it above all the angels, seraphim and saints, who, having less grace and merits, are enjoying the supreme beatitude. Moreover, there was another reason why the divinity should manifest itself clearly to her, namely, since she was elected to be the mother of God, it was appropriate, that she should know by fruition and experience the treasure of the infinite deity and see him face to face as her God, whom having enjoyed, she was to clothe in mortal flesh and bear about in her virginal womb, and whom she was afterwards to treat as her son and as her God. 626. Even with all the previously mentioned purity and sinlessness, and with the addition of sanctifying grace, the soul is not yet worthy or capable of the beatific vision, since still other dispositions and divine operations are required. With these the Queen of Heaven was furnished whenever she enjoyed this vision, and therefore they are much more necessary to any other soul that is to be so favored in mortal flesh. After the soul has reached the state of purity and sanctification described above, the Lord adds a finishing touches of a most spiritual fire, which refines and chases it like fire does to gold, or as Isaiah was purified by the seraphim, Isaiah 6-7. It has two effects in the soul. 
First it spiritualizes and separates, according to our mode of understanding, the dross and earthliness connected with its present existence and its union with the bodily matter. Secondly it fills the soul with a new light, which scatters, I do not know what obscurity and darkness, just as the light of the morning scatters the darkness of night. This light takes possession, leaves the soul clarified and replenished with new splendors of a divine fire, producing still other effects in the soul. For if it is guilty or has been guilty of any sins, the soul deplores these sins with incomparable sorrow and contrition, with a sorrow, that cannot be equaled by any other human sorrow, for all are very little in comparison with it. At the same time it feels another effect of this light. It purges the understanding of all the images impressed upon it by the sensible and visible things of earth. For all impressions and images, acquired by the senses distort the intellectual vision and serve only as a hindrance to the clear vision of the supreme spiritual essence of God. Therefore it is necessary to clear and evacuate from the faculties all these earthly idols and images. Not only is this necessary, in order that the soul may see God clearly and intuitively, but equally so, in order to see Him abstractively. 627. In the soul of our most pure Queen, there was no fault to deplore, no after-effects of the sensible operations, no dependence upon the body, and therefore these illuminations and purifications immediately wrought the other effects, beginning to elevate her nature to a condition not so far removed from the ultimate supreme end. In addition to this they caused in this most pure soul new sentiments and movements of humility and knowledge of the nothingness of the creature in comparison with the Creator and His blessings. Thus her inflamed heart was incited to many other heroic acts of virtue. Like effects are produced in a corresponding degree in other souls, who are to be prepared for the visions of the Deity. 628. Our curtailed insight might well hold that the foregoing preparations are sufficient for being admitted to the beatific vision, but they are not. Still another quality is wanting, a divine emanation or light, the light of glory. This new cleansing, though it is similar in nature to those already spoken of, is altogether different from them in its effects. For it raises the soul to a very high and serene state, where, in greatest tranquility, it enjoys the sweetest peace, which is not felt in connection with the first-mentioned purifications, for in those the pain and bitterness of sin is still felt, if the soul was guilty of any, and if not, then there remains still the earthly weight of our lower nature. These effects are not compatible with a close approach and assimilation to the supreme blessedness. It seems to me that the first purifications serve to mortify and that, which I am now referring to, serves to revivify and heal nature. God proceeds in these things like the painter, who first delineates the image, then applies the ground colors, and at last puts on the finishing touches, so that the picture comes to light well defined. 629. Over and above all these purifications, preparations and their admirable effects, God adds still a last one, which is the light of glory by which the soul raises itself to attain and enjoy the beatific vision of God. In this light the Godhead manifests itself, for without this light God cannot be seen by any creature. 
Since the natural powers of the creature cannot attain to this light and these preparations, therefore it is impossible to see God by the natural faculties alone, for all this far exceeds the forces of nature. 630. With all this beauty and adornment the spouse of the Holy Ghost, the daughter of the Father, and the mother of the Son, was furnished for her entrance into the chamber of the divinity in order to enjoy from time to time the beatific vision and intuitive fruition. And as these favors were given to her according to the measure of her dignity and grace, therefore it is impossible to encompass the godlike proportions of her enlightenment by the reasoning powers, or the thoughts of a creature, and much less of an ignorant woman. Still less can the joys of her soul be estimated or calculated, when it was thus exalted above all that is most supreme in the highest seraphim and saints. If in regard to all the just, even the lowest of those who enjoy God, it is infallibly true, that neither eyes have seen, nor ears heard, nor mind conceived, what God has prepared for His elect, 1 Corinthians 2 9, what must be the enjoyment of the greater saints. And if the same apostle who says this confesses that he cannot repeat, what he had heard, 2 Corinthians 12 4, what shall we in our narrow limitation of powers, be able to say of the saint of the saints, the mother of him who is the glory of the saints? Next to the soul of her most holy Son, who was man and true God, she was the one, who knew and saw the greatest mysteries and sacraments in those infinite and hidden immensities of the divinity. To her more than to all the blessed in their entirety were thrown open the infinite treasures, the expanding vastness of that inaccessible being, unlimited by any beginning or end. She, as the city of God, was inundated by the ecstatic torrents of the Supreme Being, overwhelming her with the impetuous waves of wisdom and grace, spiritualizing and impregnating her with the spirit of the divinity.